Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter 14. We've only got 14, 15, and 16 to go. Tonight we're starting a new series through the book of Acts. We'll start that tonight. Acts, I'm in Acts now. Uh, Mark 14. Hello, there we go. Whew. All right. Mark chapter 14. This chapter opens up in quite a contrast. It opens up with the worst of humanity, and then it turns to the best of humanity in the first nine verses. Let's read these verses together, and then I'll break them down a little bit, and we'll look at some thoughts this morning. The Bible tells us, Mark chapter 14, verse number 1, After two days was the feast of the Passover, and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. The word craft means trick him. They'd already been trying to trick him enough, hadn't they? And they failed every single time. But the chief priests and the scribes, they wanted to put him, they hated Jesus. They hated what he stood for. They hated how he made them feel in their hypocrisy. Verse 2 says, But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Something that's just a side note for us as we go through here today. But do you notice, one thing I noticed about the chief priests and scribes are they're very concerned about what people think. They don't care what God thinks, they care what people think. I want to help you this morning in Christianity. You need to care what God thinks. God is the one that matters. He's the one we praise. He's the one we adore. Didn't we just sing about that? Now, if I can make people happy and God pleased at the same time, I am all for it, and I want that. But at the end of the day, God is the one to be pleased. And these men were too focused on what people thought of them instead of being concerned about what God thought of them. Verse 3. Let's keep on reading. It says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she break the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And look at what it says there. And they murmured. So it was more than one person. They murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do to them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also, shall, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for her for memorial of her. Isn't that wonderful? I love the fact that Jesus said, where the gospel is preached, everyone's going to remember about this lady that broke her box of ointment and poured it on my feet and anointed me with it. We know it's Mary. The gospel of John tells us that. But everyone knows this passage. Because Jesus said right here, everyone would know it, right? 
As a Christian, we know that this happened. And so we go from the beginning of this chapter, those that want, hated Jesus and wanted to kill him because they hated him. They wanted nothing to do with him. Then we see Jesus is hanging out with some of his friends. He's in Bethany. In Bethany there, that, he would go to a friend's house, a family that he loved. He would go where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. They were a family that was close to the Lord. Simon the leper, Jesus healed this man. Jesus has his disciples around him. Jesus is hanging around those who supposedly love him, right? This is a nice scene before our eyes. And we see this woman, we know Mary, we'll read in John in a few minutes, in John chapter 12. We see that Mary breaks this open and anoints her Savior and shows him her love. And the last place I would expect indignation, really? You just wasted this. The last place I would expect that would be where it happened. Now I get Judas wasn't saved. He had the devil in him, the Bible says. I get Judas. And it even talks about Judas later on in John. We'll be there in a minute. But it says others murmured too. And this is what it comes down to. Either you hate Jesus, you kind of love Jesus, or you really love Jesus. That's really the three ways it is in this life. People hate him, they kind of love him, or they really love him. I want to talk for a few minutes this morning or preach on this thought, real love. You know what everybody wants in life? Real love? You don't want a fake love. You know, you don't want, you know, how would it have been if one day I went to Caroline and said, you have to love me. You don't have a choice. We're going to be together forever. You have to love me. That's not real love. Real love is parents having kids and never holding them for the first time and raising them and loving them. That's love. Jesus dying on a cross, that's real love. Love is displayed. Love is action. There are many people that say, I love Jesus. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, do your actions reflect the fact that you do love Jesus? Now, like I said over the past several weeks, you get to deal with these messages for 30, 40, 50 minutes, anywhere in that length on a Sunday morning. I have to deal with these things several weeks in advance. And one of the things I did this last week in my own personal life was, I do love Jesus. And I think every Christian in this room would say they love Jesus. And if you wouldn't say that, there's something wrong with you, I'm sure. And I, I have no doubt in my mind that every Christian wants to love him more than what they do have in the past. And they want to do more for him. I get that. But I decided to take a measuring stick during my, this last week in my own life. Do I love Jesus more or do I love Brian more? And do you know the truth of the matter is? There are lots of times this last week that I love Brian more. Say, why? Because my actions reflected it. Because if I love Jesus more, there are certain things I wouldn't have done. But when I love Brian more, I did what Brian wanted to do instead of what Jesus would have had me do. Because if you love him, 
you're going to keep his commandments, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Now you say, we're never going to be perfect. In this flesh, we never will be. And thank God his mercy is there, and thank God for his grace. He understands those things. I love in the Psalms where it says, he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we're dust. He knows how we are. He knows that, and thank God he puts that into account. Thank God he doesn't hold us to his standard, because none of us get close. But do you really love the Lord? I want you to, for the next few minutes, to picture yourself as Peter and Jesus sitting right next to you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Anthony, do you love me? Harrison, do you love me? Annette, do you love me? Maria, do you love me? Matthew, do you love me? I want you to answer that question after you look at what real love looks like from Mary this morning. Father, I need your help in the next few minutes. It's a precious, precious passage here. I pray that you'd help us guide our thoughts. We love you. We need you. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Real love. That's why, you know, in all reality, you know what people want today? They want love and acceptance. Everybody in this world is searching for love and acceptance. That's what they're looking for. Do you know you can find both in Jesus Christ? He gave his son for us. God gave us his son. He demonstrated his love. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And when you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, he accepts you. You didn't have to, did you have to change all behaviors to come to him? You had to change your belief system. And even that, a dead person, it's hard for a dead person to change their belief system without some help from the grace and faith of God. That's why it's a gift. Why sometimes I did this and we didn't do anything. Jesus did everything. We're dead. I, I, I've never seen a dead person do anything. It just doesn't. Have, dead things don't do things. It's the grace of God. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His faith. It's not my faith. It's His faith. But anyways, that's not part of the message. Just saw extra. I could spend a lot of time this morning talking about the chief priests and the scribes, but I don't want to waste my time on them. I want to talk about Mary this morning. Three points, simple points, not very deep this morning, but simple. Number one, real love involves sacrifice. Real love involves sacrifice. If you truly love somebody, it involves sacrifice. You know, if you truly love your spouse, your wife, or your husband, then that means there are things you will sacrifice for them. That's what love is. If you truly love your children, there are sacrifices you make to take care of them and love them. That's how it works. Real love involves sacrifice. We look at verse number 3 of our text here today. Mark chapter 14, verse number 3. And it says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikener, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. We could look at John chapter um, 12, and this passage is the same passage, a parallel passage, John 12, verse 1 through 8. The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, 
whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Now, uh, let me just give you a little thought here for a moment. Sometimes we look at Martha. I really sincerely believe the gift that God gave Martha was of service. And she was using her gift for God here. Maybe Mary burned everything in the kitchen, you know? Maybe that just wasn't her thing. Or maybe she just did desserts. I don't know what the case may be. Maybe she didn't do real meat. I don't know. But Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, with Jesus. It says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, is it a good thing to give to the poor? It is. I think Jesus taught that. And I think you go back to the Old Testament, the Jewish law, they set things in place to help the poor. I think that's good. But look at what the Bible says here. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then Jesus said, Let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So we know this is Mary that does this special thing before the Lord. And we're told in these accounts that Martha's serving. They're in this place. They're in Simon's house. Jesus is around those that love him. Those that are grateful. And you know, you think about that. When the Lord has done what he's done in our lives, if the Lord came to have a meal with us, we would all just love having him, right? That's what's going to be so wonderful about heaven, just being with Jesus. I don't care if there's a mansion there. I don't care if the streets are paved with gold. Put me in the middle of the desert with nothing and just let me sit next to Jesus, and that's good enough for me. That's what heaven, to me, what I look forward to in heaven, number one, is just Jesus. That's what I look forward to. They're there eating with Jesus. Now, this is another thought. This is a side note. Do you notice Jesus did a lot of eating with people? Did you, that, that's a good Baptist thought right there. Baptists like to eat. That's a Baptist thing. Baptist tr- a church tradition of Baptists is potlucks and eating food. We don't get these bellies from not eating, right? That's not where it comes from. A lot of Baptist preachers, you see them, they're a little bigger than some of the other preachers because they eat a lot. But anyways, just a little side note. You see how Jesus sat down and broke bread and he fellowshiped with his people? It is a good thing for the people of God to associate with one another. I would encourage you. God has given us, we have a great church with a lot of great people. And one of the hard things is, in a church like ours, this room is not super big. You cannot, like last Sunday, this service was packed, and the other service was over half. You cannot have on a Sunday morning everyone in one building. And plus the parking, who knows what would happen. So most of you here don't know those that come at 830, and I I hate that because you can't really get to know them. So then on Sunday night, you have a select that come and different things. But I would encourage you to find people in church. Go out to eat with them. Invite them over to your home for a meal. Get to know people. Getting to know God's people and fellowshipping with God's people is not just coming in church saying, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Didn't my good duty for the week. We're going to spend eternity together. You think about that one? We are. Like it or not. And you might learn there are some people you invite them over. They might stay two days. And you've got to learn to set some time limits and things of that nature. 
But I believe, and I think it's scriptural, I think we see it with Jesus over and over again, he invited, he was at people's, and they fellowshiped together. And a great way to do that is through food. They sat at meat. That's Bible right there. Anyways, let's keep on going. He is there with this group. And we see that Mary takes this ointment and she breaks it and puts it on Jesus. So we think about real love involves sacrifice. Letter A, we see that her sacrifice was costly. As Jesus is sitting there at the meal, Mary enters the room and she has that alabaster box of ointment. It's filled with ointment of spiker, and it's very precious. She breaks the box and pours it on Jesus. And this box would have been it actually like a flask-type thing. And the substance, the spikener, or they would call it a nard, it's a red-tinted ointment that is drawn from a plant that grows in India. It's super expensive. So 300 pence, you put that in money terms today, it's about $20,000. It's an expensive bottle of perfume. And it, there were customs in those days. You'd have someone come to your house, and you had someone of high regard. You might spray a little bit of perfume on them when they came in to dignify them. But you wouldn't take something like this. This was precious. Maybe this was used to bury someone that was wealthy. This was not just your average gift right here. It was very costly. And it talks about the 300 pence. And so Mary enters the room, she breaks this box open, and she pours the ointment on Jesus' head and the rest on his feet. And then she falls down before the Lord and takes her hair and rubs her hair and washes his feet with her hair. Her sacrifice was costly. It cost a lot of money. And in those days, let's be honest, women didn't wear their hair down often. Prostitutes wore their hair down in those days. It's different than today, thank God for that. But in that day, the lowest would have their hair down. And she lowered her hair down to show this act of love to her Savior. Real love involves sacrifice. Her sacrifice was costly, but also let her be. Her sacrifice proved her love for Jesus. She loved him. And as we look at this passage and we think on these things, you know, why did Mary do this? Was she wanting the disciples to be, wow, look at this amazing... They didn't feel that way. That, if that was the point of doing it, there was nothing to be shown there. Now I believe she sincerely loved the Lord. This is the one who had saved her. This is the one who raised her brother from the dead after he died. This is Jesus. This is the one, and I love, the scriptures tell us in other places that Mary sat very close to him. She picked up on his words. Hey, church, don't get so busy in life that you miss the words of Jesus. It says here that Jesus said she did this because of his burial coming, right? So is it that she realized what was coming and none of the disciples who were right there all that other time did? But she sat near and she paid attention. Sometimes we're so full of everything else when we're trying to listen to God. We can't listen to God because we're so full of everything else. we got to clear everything else out so we can listen to God. But her sacrifice proved her love. It showed, number one, that she was committed to him. Once you break that ointment open, there was no going back. 
You couldn't like, oops, didn't mean to do that. I'm going to take this back. I'm going to wrap it up with duct tape, take it back to Walmart and see if I can return it. You couldn't do that. Once you open this up, that was it. There was no going back. You couldn't gather it back up and do, no. She gave it to the Lord. She spent all of that, that expensive ointment she poured, and she didn't just take a little bit and give it to the Lord. She broke it. She was committed to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, how committed are you to Jesus? And I know nowadays people don't like to be committed to things. But I don't know if you realize, if you have a car payment, you're committed to that. Well, some people don't think that. You know, student debt, we're not committed to that anymore, right? But anyways, we'll leave that alone. You're committed to your house payment, right? You sign the paper that says you're going to pay your house payment. That's a commitment. We don't like commitments today, but are, are we committed to God? She was committed. She was willing to give all that she had to him. Number two, she thought more of Jesus than she thought of herself. You know, she could have saved this. Maybe she could have saved it for her own death someday. And they could have used this to bury her with. That perfume could have kept her smelling good for years in the grave. Could have been real special. Maybe she would run into a hard time in her life and not have enough money to live, and she could have sold this ointment. Let's say she couldn't get all 300 pence, but even 150 pence would have been better than nothing, right? She thought more of Jesus than she thought of herself. Hey, church, let me ask you a question this morning. How much does Jesus mean to you? We sing songs like, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would surely fall. We sing so many songs that we don't even believe to be true. Sometimes I'll catch myself singing a song and I'll be like, I shouldn't be singing that one right now. It happens to me. Maybe it doesn't happen to you. You're a better Christian than me, but it happens to me. Do you, how, what do you think of Jesus today? Mary thought he was special enough to pour this ointment on. If you had $20,000 in your hand right now, let this, it was worth $20,000. Would Jesus be worth that $20,000? Would Jesus be worth your car? Would Jesus be worth your home? What matters to you? She thought more of Jesus than she thought of herself. And it was proven by what she did. There are many of us that would say that we would think more of Jesus than ourselves. But the question is, is that true? Mary lived it out before our eyes. The third thing that we see is, she valued Jesus more than her possessions. To me, that bottle of ointment, that was precious expensive it was a precious thing but she valued jesus more than she valued that box say why is that because she broke it open and poured it on jesus jesus meant the world to her hey church real love involves sacrifice do you truly love the lord today do you love him on a level like mary you know the thing that we're doing today is we're teaching our kids to put themselves above Jesus. We're teaching, we're teaching, we're putting possessions before. Oh, my job comes before Jesus. My nice car comes before Jesus. This comes before Jesus. Sports comes before Jesus. 
And let me just say, all those things have a proper place in life. I'm not telling you not to play sports, you know, but when we teach our kids that sports are more important than Jesus, we're not doing our kids a favor. Are sports good? Sports are good. There are a lot of great lessons that are learned from sports. I love sports. I probably love sports too much at times. And that's one of my things I have to watch out. And I got, watch, I got a five-year-old that will sit and watch nine innings of baseball in front of the TV just like this. A five-year-old. I'm going to have to, he's going to have to make sure Jesus is more important than that angel game. He's checking every day. He's got a little calendar. He's only five years old. He's, what time do the angels play today? What time do they play? And then he wants to know the score. And then we got this little thing now. He wanted to stay up every night to watch the end of every game. I'm like, no, sir, you got to go to sleep and get sleep. Because you're, you're a pill when you don't get sleep. So we have this little routine now. If they win, we have a nightlight in the hallway. I turn it to red. So it's red if the angels win. So if they wake up at night, they can know that they win. That's how bad it is. And I don't think they realize there's 162 games in the season. It's a long season. Or 163. It's somewhere in there. And so, but he loves it. And is there anything wrong with him loving sports? No, but he better value Jesus more than he values a baseball. Because it's not going to matter how many catches you get when you get to heaven. It's not going to matter how many strikeouts you've had. What matters is what you did for Jesus. Jesus matters. But those other things, they can have a place in life. Just don't put them above Jesus. There are other things I'm sure that Mary had in her life. But Mary took this precious box of ointment here and said, Jesus, you mean more to me than this does. And I'm going to give it to you. And that's what she did. She loved the Lord. And church, we need to teach our children, we need to teach those around us to love Jesus. Put him first. You cannot go wrong putting Jesus first in your life. You cannot. Jesus first, others second. That's a great, and self last. I think that's a great way to live. I think that's the great command, to love God, to love your neighbor. And then you can throw yourself in at the end after you take care of everybody else. Real love involves sacrifice. Now, wouldn't you think around all these people, they would have been, oh, good job, Mary. You're so wonderful doing this for the Lord. But number two this morning, you've got to understand this. Real love gets criticized. It does. You did what? You go to church more than once a month? You put money in an offering plate? What's wrong with you? You read your Bible? It's the same book. You're just reading it. Real love gets criticized. And you would expect the world to criticize, right? Because they're not going to understand how we love the Lord. But let's be honest. There are times where when we're serving God that we get criticized from those within. Because sometimes they don't know our motives. They don't know our heart. And we look at this here. Okay, we know Judas. He was a thief, the Bible says. His intent was not good. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, okay? But we also look here. There were disciples here. We don't know which ones. You know, how, how did Peter feel about this? How did James feel about this? How did John feel about this, the disciple whom Jesus loved? How did they all feel? Well, we don't know exactly. But I will tell you one thing we could look at. You will notice that around before Jesus' death, what were all the disciples arguing about? Who the greatest was. So it could have been for some of them. You know, we know what Judas thought. This is a waste. Some of the disciples could have been thinking, 
I wish I would have done that. What if I would have done that? Then maybe I could be first. Maybe I could sit at the right hand. Who knows what their thoughts were exactly? But this is what happens. You truly love the Lord. You're going to get criticized from within and without. It's going to happen. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says of our text, Mark 14, verse 4 and 5, And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. We look at this here, and we see this. They were filled with indignation. We see letter A, we see the attack here. There were some that were moved to indignation. That word means to be very displeased. They were not happy with what Mary just did. And they said that her act of selfless worship was nothing more than a waste. You see that there? The word waste, it literally means utter, destroyed, ruined, and perished. This ointment is good for nothing. You wasted it on Jesus. Can you just think about those words? You wasted your ointment on Jesus. Wow. This is the crew that you would expect praise. They all loved him. But it says some of them were filled with indignation. We see it's mentioned how much it's worth. 300 pence. Almost $20,000 in our day to day. And we see there's an accusation that's made. Look at that accusation. We could have given this to the poor. Hey, imagine, I was talking to, uh, oh, yesterday, the guy at the food bank at your thing yesterday, Carl. He was mentioning how you, how you guys spent about $6,000 on rice and beans the other day, and that someone donated that money to pay for it all. But imagine, if I were to say to help feed people at your place, we had $20,000 to give you, that would go quite a ways, right? That would take care of some things for a little bit of time at a food place, helping the poor. So this statement that this could have been used to feed the poor, that's not a bad statement. Because there are poor that could be fed. There's a lot that could be done with that money. That is a very true thing. But this is the accusation. You could have used this to do some good. You waste, you see, you see their thoughts were not right their thoughts were not where they should be and we'll look at that deeper here in a second but that was but you see they brought up an accusation this is is it good to feed the poor yes does jesus want us how many people did jesus feed people were hungry jesus fed them man the disciple says send them away and jesus said what do we have to give them not a whole lot well, when you don't have a whole lot, but you got Jesus, you got a whole lot. And he fed them all. Jesus fed people. He was for that. He took care of people. And they bring up this, you, you, Mary, you could have taken this and given it to the poor. We know what Judas really thought about this whole thing. And that Judas more wanted to keep the money and put it in the bag. It was a selfish motive behind it. She gave all that she had to worship God. She gave everything. It was costly. She showed the Lord her love. It was costly. It was a sacrifice. And then all she gets from those around her is, you wasted that. You could have done so much better with that than giving it to Jesus. 
That's a tough, tough thing to swallow sometimes. I remember a while back, Caroline and I were talking about something. We were talking about some issue or something that was going on. And um, she made this, she asked me a question. She said, how do you handle what you do? People sometimes are not the nicest about things. And that's true. Sometimes people are very nice, but sometimes people aren't so nice. You can sit in my office sometime and hear some of the things that I hear. People say some things about me, and I sit in there and I think, yeah, that's pretty true. That is me. That does describe me pretty well right there. But I, I told her this statement, and it was to help her as well. I don't do what I do directly for you. Now, let's get this straight. I love you in this room. And there are a lot of you I have good, deep friendships with that I am grateful for, and I love that. But you didn't call me to pastor here. You didn't. Well, there were a few here that, that agreed with God eventually and called me that way. But I was called to preach before I ever came to victory. Do you know who called me to preach? He did. Why do I do what I do? Number one, for him. For him. I can have someone come in my office and criticize me for two hours on things. And it's happened. You remember that? Yeah? Has that happened? That's happened. Two hours. I didn't know there was that much bad about me. But anyways, it can happen. But this is what it comes down to. I do it for you, but I do it for him. Why did Mary do what she did here? Not for the disciples. She did it for Jesus. That's why she did it. And there are going to be times in your life as you serve God, people are going to look at you and they're going to criticize you and what you do. I am sure at that food pantry, there have been times you've been criticized for things in the way that it's done. I'm sure that some of you, the ladies tea yesterday, the way you did something or something else, you probably got some criticism somewhere. You teach in a Christian school long enough, you do anything for God, you're going to get criticized by somebody. Mary got criticized. But may I just remind you, Mary wasn't doing it for the approval of all those people in that room. She wasn't doing it for Lazarus. She wasn't doing it for Martha. She wasn't doing it for the 12 disciples. She was doing it for Jesus. And may I just remind you today, you will get crit. You love Jesus today, and you will show him that love. This world's going to criticize you. There are going to be some Christians that don't understand your love because they're going to think that you are doing more than them, and they're going to be looking at it as, they're going to be jealous. And they'll criticize you. But I don't do it for you. I do it for him. My praise is not for you to look at me praising God. My praise is for him. That's why if you don't like the way I sing, I don't care if you like the way I sing. I sing to him. And yes, I don't hit every note just right. And yes, I don't always come in at the right spot. And yes, there are, much, there are other people that sing way better than me and actually know the timing on things. But that, I may... The Bible says to make a joyful noise, and I fit into that category, and I will take that all the way to heaven with me, and hopefully I can keep my joyful noise in heaven and not have a beautiful voice in heaven. I get it. I listen to some recordings sometimes, and I'm like, whoa, I can't believe anybody even listens to this voice. In this head, it sounds so wonderful, but outside of there, it does not sound so wonderful. What are you laughing about? I can't believe you. I can't. Wow. My own wife agrees with that. You... Her opinion does matter to me some, but it, no, I, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Real love. 
involves sacrifice, and real love is going to get criticized. But do you know what happens with real love? Number three, it gets noticed by Jesus. Hey, who's the one who defends her? Jesus! Who comes to her at bat? Jesus. Who knew her heart? Jesus. Man, there are a lot of other people in the past chapters we've read about that Jesus said some mean things about, didn't he? I don't see anything mean said about Mary here. Now, you look at your notes, you're like, ah, he's done with all his notes. We're just going to look at what Jesus said about Mary and see how that can apply to our lives and be done here in a couple minutes. Look at with me. We're there in chapter 14. But look with me at verse number 6. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. What you can tell is, Jesus wasn't happy. He was grieved by the attitude of those in the room that day. Guys, why? Why are you troubling her? Why is this going on? She, what does it say there? She hath wrought a good work on me. That word good means beautiful. What a contrast. Think about this. What did some of those disciples and those in the room say? Hey, Mary, you wasted. Your work is wasted on Jesus here. Isn't that what they said? And do you know what Jesus said? It's a beautiful work that she's doing. Someone this morning, a pastor friend of mine, sent me a verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You serve Jesus, it's not in vain. It's never wasted. You pick up trash at church, it's not a waste. You help at a lady's tea like yesterday, there's no waste in that. You do whatever you can, you're not wasting your time. It's a beautiful thing to God. That goes back to, why do you do what you do? Who do you do it for? You should be doing it for him. It's not a waste to serve Jesus today. This world might view it a waste. There might be some Christians that look like you're wasting your time. But to Jesus, it's a beautiful thing. And in fact, after we're saved, we're not saved by good works, by beautiful things, by beautiful works. But after we get saved, we're supposed to do beautiful works, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto beautiful works. What Mary is doing what every, is what every Christian should be doing after they're saved. Hey, leave her alone, guys. Why are you troubling her? Why are you doing this? She has done a good work. It's a beautiful thing what she just did. It's not a waste. It's beautiful. Let's look and see what else Jesus said here. Let's keep on reading here. Look at uh, verse number 7. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. Now, something you got to understand there. Jesus isn't saying not to help the poor. But this is what he's saying. Get this. Hey, you have the poor, and as you can, help them. But what he's telling them right now is, you are not always going to have me there. Seize the moment. Take advantage of the moment you're in right now. Use that opportunity for the Lord. Mary had that moment. Jesus wasn't always going to be there. His death was pending a few days from now. 
And Jesus said, hey, seize the moment. Hey, you don't always, hey, church, you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you have this afternoon. Seize the moment. Serve and live for God today. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I love my dad would always tell me, hey, Brian, do this. I'll get it done tomorrow. Tomorrow never gets here. Yeah, that was my dad's saying. Tomorrow never gets here. Because it doesn't, because it's always tomorrow. And I'll serve God tomorrow. I'll love God tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. But tomorrow never gets here. Take the moment and serve him now. That's what Jesus said Mary did. She took advantage of the moment. Let's keep on going here. And that's where the Bible is clear about see that ye walk circumspectly or redeeming the time because the days are evil. Seize the moment you have right now. You don't know how many more moments you've got. The next verse we see, verse number 8. This is the first part of verse number 8. She hath done what she could. The other day, I had a man in our church call me, and he was struggling a little bit that day. And uh, he's gotten to the point in his life, physically, he can't do as much as he used to do. And this was his call and what we talked about for a while. He said, I wish I could do more for God today. And there comes a point where physically we cannot do all the things that we used to do. And that's a hard thing to accept. You know, it's a hard thing to accept at some point there's just certain things you used to do you can't do as much. My dad a couple weeks ago, my dad's 80 now, and for some reason with the medicine and stuff he's on, he gets dizzy pretty easy. He, he has some boxes up in the lower part of the attic that he wants down, and so he decided to climb up on the ladder. He got up two things on the ladder, and then he got back down and said, and had me get them for him. But then the next day, he's talking about going back up on the ladder. I said, Dad, I promise you this. You step foot on that ladder, I'm taking the saw, and I'm cutting the ladders up and throwing them in the trash. I was teasing him because I'm not going to do that to him. But I started thinking, how's it going to be for me someday when I want to get on a ladder and I can't? But I'm still too stubborn and I still want to do it. Gives you a little bit of compassion there when you think on those things. But what I told this man that we talked the other day, and I'm telling you right now, what the Bible says about Mary, she did what she could can't always look at what you can't do but do what you can do that's the key you know we think about some in this room some can sing and you can sing great others can't just because you can't doesn't mean you need to be like so and so you do what you can we looked around at the ladies had their ladies tea just yesterday you could look around at the different tables there are different decorating styles in all the different lays that did tables. And one of the things that you could see of some people are very gifted in how they do it, and some people struggle in how they do it. But just because you might not, not, it might not come as natural to you as someone else doesn't mean you need to be that other person and make it like theirs. You do what you can. Use the gifts that God's given you to the greatest ability. Don't worry about doing what someone else does. What Mary did... Mary wasn't in the kitchen cooking, was she? And that could have been, there could have been reasons for that. Like I said, she could have been the one who burned everything. Or she's the one who didn't follow the recipe and no one wanted to eat Mary's food. 
So it might have been a blessing that Mary wasn't in the kitchen cooking. Martha's cooking. That was probably a good spot for Martha. And Martha, Martha, that was her spot. So Martha was doing what she could in serving the Lord that way. Mary did what she could. Don't look at someone else and wish you could be them and do things their way. You just do your best for God where you're at. Because God made you, you. One of the things that I haven't figured out and that we got, that you've got to figure out, you got to learn to be secure in the person God made you to be. You don't have to be like everyone else. You don't have to, well, I could never get up and speak. Not everyone has to speak in front of people. You say, I could never, you don't have to sing. Say, well, I'm one of those that, I'm, I lay low, and I, then that's the person God made you to be. Embrace who God made you to be and be that to the fullest of your ability. God made you how you are. You are distinct. You are perfectly and wonderfully made, the scripture says. So instead of wanting to change, I see people, I got to change this about, and there are things, you can work on things in life and work at getting better. But when God makes you, you, embrace you and use it for his glory. That's what Mary did. And I love, this is what she did all she could. I don't think anything, if, that, if Jesus were to say that to all of us, you did all you could with what I gave you. I will be like, if I get that for a well done when I get to see him, I would be fine with either one of those. Because she did all she could. Let me ask you, could that be said of you today? You've done all you could? Well, pastor, I can't do much. Why are you doing all you can with what you got? Do all you can with what you got for the Lord. And then we see the fact that it says, she has come aforehand to anoint my body to be the buried. And I mentioned that before. She, she knew. I think, and the Bible makes it clear that Mary was right there listening to his words, right at his feet. She picked up on it. Many others didn't pick up on it. And even, you know, did she know it was coming right at that moment? I can't say that she did. But it did picture, what would you use that ointment for a lot of times? The burying of someone. He was going to be buried. And then we see the fact that Jesus says that any time this gospel's preached, she will be remembered because of it. Hey, church, this morning, real love, there's sacrifice involved. And real love, it costs. Real love proved, was proved by Mary in her life. But when you really love God, people are going to criticize you. Even those that you call friends might criticize you. But at the end of the day, Jesus notices. And Jesus, Jesus has your back. He does. That's one of the things, that's one of the things that I've had to learn that's helped me. Because, and this is the thing, when you, when you pass different things, you will get criticized. It's going to happen. You put yourself out there, you will get criticized. Because this is the thing, and I want you to make sure you understand something. I am the furthest thing from perfect. If you put Jesus and me in the same room, I'm like 10 blocks down the street. There's no comparison. I'm so, I'm so messed up. Criticism will come. It will. But I remember the first few years of pastoring, being young and dumb. I'm still kind of young, and I'm still dumb. But I remember people would attack me, and I would attack back. I would. 
I remember someone yelled at me for like 20 minutes right out over here. And when they got done, I yelled right back at them and threw it back at them. Something I've learned, I don't anymore. I just take it. Say, why? If I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, he's got my back. I don't need to have my own back. I'll be okay. I got to please him. I want to love him. And I want to love him more today than what I loved him yesterday. And I would hope that if I had an expensive thing of ointment, that I would pour it on him. That I would put him first in my life. But I know there are times in my life I don't do that. But I strive more and more to do more for him. And I know that criticism is going to come as you serve God. It's going to come. But I've learned, and it's taken time, and I'm still not perfect at it, but I've learned I don't need to go defend myself. If I'm loving him and doing what he wants me to do, he's got my back. I don't need to do anything else. He'll take care of it. Best way to live. Makes life a lot easier. Because at the end of the day, I'm just trying to please him. And you're not going to change anybody's opinion or anything else. And in fact, you start opening up your big mouth, you're just showing them that you are as bad as they said you were. A fool uttereth all is mine, but a wise man keepeth it until afterwards. There's a Bible verse about that. The Lord's so good. The longer, I love that song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I want to love him the more I long for that day I get to see him. And what an example by Mary. True, real love. 